We're starting a three-week mini-series today that has really been driven by the survey results, especially by a number of the comments that, that we read. And, and as I read those, I just assumed that there's a topic that I needed to address, and that topic was the issue of freedom. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to do a series that I'm calling Freedom Unlimited. And today, the message is called Freedom in Bondedness. Freedom in Bondedness. If you have a Bible, you may want to turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to really be focusing on a couple of verses in that text, verse 1 and then verses 13 through 15. But I want to begin by just sharing some thoughts that I have as I approach this message. Vipker has taken the boys away on a vacation, so it's just me at home alone. Well, technically it's alone, but I'm actually there with my dogs. And the, the little one has got so much energy that she loves going running with Vipker every morning. And so simply being confined at home with me wasn't going to cut it, so I realized I need to walk the dog. So uh, a couple of days this week, I've put the leashes on the dogs, and I've walked them, and, and the older one is just so well-trained and everything else, and I think our standards must have slipped with the younger one. Uh, but anyway, we're walking with the younger one, and she's really kind of pulling, and you just sense her missing mom because she wants to run free. She wants to be uncaged. And as I was just walking, Ella, I just realized, hey, I'm so glad that I'm not that dog. I'm thinking that I'm so glad that I can walk free. And then I had this thought in my mind that no one was going to cage or chain me. And that led me to thinking that so many of us view freedom as basically having the idea of being uncaged, unleashed, and no one holding us back. But the reality is that none of us are completely free. None of us are so free that we are independent and autonomous of other people. None of us are as free as we think we are. And a close reading of the scriptures actually reveals this principle to be true. No finite being is completely autonomous. In fact, the scriptures reveal that only God as infinite is authoritatively autonomous. Now, take a moment to, to allow that to sink in. No finite being, no human being is completely independent. But God as infinite is the only being who is completely autonomous. A scripture that defines this is Psalm 115, verse 3. I love this. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. God does whatever pleases him. Now, verse 3 is actually an answer to a question that the nations surrounding God's people were asking. They were asking, verse 2, where is this God of the Jews? Where is he? And the answer that the psalmist gives is that God's sovereign rule over the earth gives him the freedom to decide for himself whether and when he will reveal his glory. The point the psalmist is making is that God's infinite sovereignty reveals the exclusivity of his nature. You see, God is infinite. 
and as infinite, God has complete authority over when, where, and how he reveals himself. And he can do that because he is infinite. And as infinite, he is completely free. A core issue when it comes to the whole idea of freedom is authority. We spend so much of our lives trying to be free, but inevitably we wind up being dependent upon someone or even for many of us upon something in an unhealthy way. The question in freedom is ultimately this, whose harness are we in? Who's holding the leash? The issue in freedom is authority and who holds the leash. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking back to my oldest daughter and uh, to the time when she was younger, and I've shared this before. She had this adventurous spirit. Whenever we would go somewhere, she would wander off, and we tried everything we could to basically get her to walk by our side. She didn't do it, and so we ended up buying a leash for a child, strapping it around her left wrist, and whenever we would go out for a season, we would basically have to leash on her. We were holding her leash. Her name is Alicia, and in that season, we would call her Alicia because she needed to be held back. See, the issue in freedom there was authority. Who is holding the leash? Who's holding it? Now, where this becomes important for us is because during our survey, especially when we got to that precautions section, the comments were filled with two themes, freedom and authority. Freedom, what does freedom look like when there's precautions and authority? Who has the right to actually dictate or influence behavior? Freedom and authority. And so it became very clear to me and clear to our team that many people viewed us not gathering for 11 weeks as basically an abuse of the freedom that the Constitution gave us. Others expressed the belief that requiring any precautions at all was unbiblical because it limited freedom. You see then, in, in, this, in this scenario, our survey is digging up an, an important concept, the concept of freedom. And within the concept of freedom, we have this idea of authority. Freedom and authority basically come together. Now, freedom, as we all know, is a core value of this nation. And I want to be clear, I love the fact that it is. When we moved to America back in 2008, many of our European friends and family would invariably ask us over the first few years, what have you seen to be one of the major differences between life in Europe and life in America? And my answer was always simple. Freedom in America is more than something we simply say. Freedom is inexplicably tied to the way we live. One of the earliest examples of that for, uh, was when I was driving in Tampa and I looked to the side, I've been in America about a week or so, and I looked to the side and there was this F-150 pickup truck and in the back there were just a mass of people sitting in the back in the open bed. Now in Europe, you wouldn't be allowed to do that. 
But over here in Tampa, at least back then, that was something that you could do, freedom. The way I would also explain the difference is by telling a joke. It was a joke that was taught to me by an American when I moved to Hamburg back in 2001. And the story goes like this. A Brit, a British person, an American and a German are basically stranded on a desert island. They're bored one day, and so they decide to explore the island. As they're exploring the island, they notice a hill, and they say, hey, let's climb the hill and see what's on top. And so they climb the hill, and as they get to the top, they see this wide, open, green pasture. The Brit looks at the American and the German and says, wow, this is amazing. We should make this into a cricket field. The American looks at the Brit and says, cricket? Only your empire plays that thing. No, we need to make this into a baseball field. And with that, the Germans stay silent. The Brit and the American look at the German and they say, well, what do you think we should do? And the German says, keine Genehmigung, which means no authority. One of the key values of American life is the value of freedom. And I, for one, have come to love the value and the way that it's lived out. And if there's one thing that I want everyone to know is that as we start into this transitional phase of us regathering back together, the precautions that we are taking in our regathering strategy is not, or these precautions are not designed to limit freedom, but to express our freedom in a biblical way. I'll say that again. The precautions that we're taking in our regathering strategy are not designed to limit your freedom, but to express that freedom in a biblical way. Because freedom in the scriptures is also tied to authority. Now, as I explained at the beginning of our COVID journey way back in March, I believe it was on March 8th, before we missed our first Sunday, our decision to pause on holding our meetings had nothing to do with succumbing to the authority of a governor who herself has declared that she has no constitutional authority over the church. No, our decision not to gather in person was basically driven by our unwillingness to do anything to jeopardize life, especially the life of the weak and the vulnerable. And we said we are truly a pro-life church. We protect life in the womb all the way through to the tomb. And so from the outset, we basically stated that biblical freedom is not biblical when it ignores the needs of the weak and the vulnerable. That was our position in March, and that is our position in June. And so in not meeting, we did not succumb to the authority of the governor, but actually dug into the authority of the scriptures, which reminds us all to look out for the needs of the weak and the vulnerable. And indeed, it says we are truly free when we are willing to do exactly that. As difficult as this idea may be for some of us, I, I want to say that anyone who violates that principle of what the Bible calls mutuality that freedom in community, 
and they claim their freedom allows them to do whatever they want to do, I want to be as clear as I can about this, they violate the scriptures. Now, that may be not, not be a popular thing to do, and if you don't agree with my opinion on that, that's fine, but just dig into the message that I'm going to share with you, because what I want to do today is I just basically want to unpack the foundation for freedom in a scriptural sense. And the, the basis of it is simply this. Anybody who thinks that they are free to be left alone and free to go alone is actually pursuing a freedom that implies that they are to live alone. Look at that again. Freedom to be left alone, freedom to go it alone is a freedom that implies that you are going it alone. And friends, if you are a part of the church of Jesus Christ, you are called into a, a faith family that actually requires you to live, to love, and to serve others. The freedom to be left alone and to go it alone implies a freedom that is alone. And that freedom is not the freedom that we see in the Scriptures. Now, if you have your Bible, what I'd like you to do is to go to Galatians 1, uh, chapter 5 and have a look at verse 1. This verse is one of those foundational verses in the Scriptures for freedom. Now, the first part of this verse is actually only four words in the Greek. And so, with four words, the, the emphasis here is, in a sense, even stronger but this is what Paul writes to the Galatians. Now, the context for Galatians is essentially that there were some people who'd followed Christ and were trying to put laws and rules and burdens on those converts to Christ. And Paul was saying, this is completely alien to the concept of the gospel, which frees. And so Paul writes this in verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now many people will turn to this passage and passages like this and talk about the individual freedom that this particular passage gives. And it is true. It does speak to individual freedom from burdens, from yokes, from slavery. But what we need to remember is that the New Testament basis for freedom is simply this. No one becomes biblically free unless they accept the need to be set free from sin. This is the basis of freedom. Freedom is based on the spiritual reality that we have been set free from sin. That is freedom from the controlling power of sin. And when we have that experience, we are truly free. However, being set free from sin does not free us from bondedness. I'm going to play on words here. When we are set free from the bondage of sin, we actually enter into a bonded relationship with God in Christ. Slavery to sin binds us. Slavery to God in Christ bonds us. In the first instance, we were under the authority of sin. 
In the second instance, we are under the authority of God in Christ. Have a look at Romans chapter 6, verse 22. This is what we read there. But now, now that you have been set free from sin, you see this, right? We were in bondage to sin. We were bound. Now that you've been set free from sin and have what? Become free? No, have become slaves of God. Just stop there. Do you see this? Once we were in bondage to sin, but through the work of Christ, now we have escaped bondage and it's been replaced with a bondedness to God in Christ. In a sense, we've exchanged one form of bondedness for another. Now, what happens when we escape bondage to sin and we become bonded to Christ? The second part of the verse tells us, look at it. The benefit we reap, this is the so what, the benefit we reap leads to Holiness, not licentiousness, not the ability to do whatever we want because we're free. That's what the Corinthians believed was the result of freedom in Christ. But that's not what Paul says. No, the benefit is holiness, and the result is eternal life. And remember, eternal life in the gospel of John is not something that we experience when we die. It's actually something we experience yet while we live. You see, when you and I accepted Jesus Christ, we exchanged that bondage to sin for a bondedness to God, which sets us free to honor God. And that's why Paul says that the result of this is holiness. That's the benefit. Let me sum it up like this. Simply put, when we accept Christ, we exchanged slavery to sin for slavery to God. It's an exchange in authority. Freedom, according to the Bible, is not a complex process. It's not the result of years of education, of philosophical debates, of political affiliation, or even of nationality. We don't have to be American or, or British to live in this freedom. Now, the pathway to freedom, according to the New Testament, is clear and unmistakable. And the responsibility is also clear. Scriptural freedom doesn't give any of us the right to do whatever we choose. That may be the world's take on it, but that's not the Scripture's take on it. Scriptural freedom has profound implications for the way we live our lives as free people. That's what Paul calls holiness. The effect of freedom is holiness. Now, this is, this is what all of this means. Craig, okay, I'm getting the principle here. We were once in bondage to sin, now we're bonded to God in Christ. Uh, so what? Well, folks, this is the so what. We must see what we can be free from before we can live in what we've been set free for. Hold on that. What have we been set free from? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ right now in this COVID reality, what is your answer to that? What have you been set free from? You see, for the believer, the answer is always, I've been set free from bondage to sin. It's not I've been set free from the repressive actions of the state. 
It's never political. It's always spiritual first. And because it's spiritual, we recognize that there is an application. There is a benefit of this. And there, the benefit is simply this. We have now been set free for a purpose. And in Galatians 5, from 1 through 15, Paul unpacks this this dynamic, and he issues and introduces that royal law of loving God, which if you know the scriptures, Jesus sums up all of the commandments with this, love God and love others. Love God and serve others. Because I know what I've been set free from, sin, I know what I've been set free to do, to love God and to serve other people. I wrote down these words, and I want to get them accurately. We have not been set free to ignore our responsibility to honor God through loving and sacrificing for other people. That's not what any of us have been set free for. Sure, there may well come a time when we need to stand up for religious freedom in the political realm. But let me tell you, I do not believe that our transitional phase is that phase. I don't believe we're facing that right now. And anyone who thinks that that is the case, I believe that you need to get a passport when you can travel, and you need to go to parts of the world where Christians have been forbidden from meeting on Sundays, actually seen their churches burned down, and maybe you need to read some of the emails and the messages we got even this week from Pastor David in Nigeria, who told us that the the persecution is heating up over there by the Islamic fundamentalists to the point where another pastor and his wife were murdered even this week. That's the reality that many people are facing. Now, I'm not saying that religious liberty is not an issue, but I am saying that religious liberty is not being threatened when we prioritize the weak and the vulnerable in our worship services. In fact, I want to point out to you that that is freedom in its finest form. I hope you're hearing me properly. From 2014 through 2016, I know that there were four or five times when I spoke out against what I considered to be the redefinition of freedom of religion as a freedom of worship. In other words, that we are free as followers of Jesus to express our faith for an hour on a Sunday morning, but that has no right to be connected to any part of our life. And there were four or five occasions in that two-year span under the previous regime that I basically said that is wrong and that is not what the Constitution allows us to do. See, there are times when we need to speak up for religious freedom. However, in this regathering, I believe we're making a mistake if we talk about freedom in the political realm, not in the spiritual realm. And in order to unpack exactly what that means, I want you to look at these verses. This is where Paul really begins to unpack everything I've just said in this message so far. This is what he says. You, my brothers and sisters... We're called to be free. Every person who's reading this as a follower of Jesus, wherever you're watching from, should say, yes, it is for freedom, Jesus says. It is for freedom that I have set you free. But this is what Paul says. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. 
For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Here is the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on. This is the warning. If you use your freedom, in other words, to bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Do you notice the limitations that Paul is putting on freedom here? We are truly free when we recognize that we are set free to serve. We are truly free when we recognize that we have been set free from bondage to sin and placed in a bonded relationship with God that results in us expressing love to people. Now, when you think about it in the New Testament, there are so many ways that this is unpacked and applied, and I'm going to look at one of those next week. But we can think about the whole application of what do we do with meat, sacrifice to idols, 1 Corinthians. There are so many applications of this, but the point is clear. We are never more free than when we use our freedom to serve. We are never more free when we lay down those things that we may have a right to for the sake of those whose conscience and whose experience may put them more vulnerable than we are. Now, let's unpack this. I want to talk about two issues very briefly, what this essentially means as we think about regathering. The first thing I want to talk about is how we are free individually, free individually. This is the first part of chapter 5, verse 13. And uh, the principle is this. We know that we're truly free when my freedom, when I realize that my freedom is constrained, is limited. See, we've got an unlimited freedom, but it's limited. What is it limited by? On whose authority we know God's. My freedom is constrained by the fact that I am not free as a follower of Jesus, to pursue everything that I want. I'm not free to pursue everything that I want. In the second part of verse 13, Paul says, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. I'm free. And yet this freedom does not permit us to have our own way in the church any more than it allows us to slip around standards. The New Testament teaches that the life of no rules or having my own way is not a life of total freedom. In fact, it's a life of bondage to sin, bondage to the flesh. When we do only what we want to do, we become slaves of our desires. When we say, I am only going to do what I have the freedom and the right to do, we're actually more bound than we think. What we discover in the scriptures is that we cannot enjoy a carefree existence and be a follower of Jesus. When we live without limits, we become slaves of sin. Fortunately, there is a way to escape this bondage to sin, and it is freedom in bondedness to God. One commentator, McKnight, writes these words, and I think they're so applicable. This is what McKnight says. Our identity as followers of Jesus does not come from discovering ourselves, 
but from knowing God and learning to relate to others as children of God. Notice that our freedom, okay, and our identity, that's where it comes from, knowing God and learning to discover, learning to grow in relationship to others. To be sure, he continues, Christians become individually free, but only in order that they might become part of a community. I love that. Christians become individually free, but only in order that they might become part of a community. Christian freedom does not seek isolation, but fellowship. Church, are we truly free? If we are truly free in Jesus Christ, we will not seek isolation. We will not pursue a path that has us getting everything that we desire to the point that we find ourselves increasingly distanced from people that we are called to serve or even increasingly surrounded by people who only think and act like us. That is not community. That is not freedom. That is bondage. You see, fellowship begins with fellowship with Christ. And fellowship is not something we do in the lobby after church. It's a relationship we share because we have Jesus in common. Freedom individually. Where this gets applied, really, I think, is in the issue of masks. The masks was a lightning rod topic in all of the survey. And about 18% of people who completed the survey said that they would attend without a mask, no matter what local regulations state. And there's a lot of me that understands that. I mean, over the last week, let's be honest, how many of you have seen the attitude to masks just slipping? And let me also be honest, I think part of the responsibility for that goes to a governor who issues rules and then doesn't follow them herself. In this regard, we we question the authority and the integrity of leadership. And see, it is true that we have the, the right individually to decide what to do with masks. And there are certain people who have authority in certain stores, and they basically say, unless you wear a mask, you cannot come in here. Now, when it comes to our regathering, we're not going to do that. We're not going to enforce. We are not going to police. We are going to encourage. And then it comes down to a matter of your own personal conscience about what you choose to do. And all I would ask in this is that we all recognize that our freedom in Christ and that individual freedom that we enjoy actually exists within the context of a bondedness to other people who are going to be impacted by our decisions. Because freedom in Christ isn't isolation, it it is fellowship. And so in our regathering strategy, we're saying, hey, masks are encouraged. In the balcony section, we're saying it's required. We're not going to police it, but I do hope that as you engage with the scriptures here, that you recognize that spiritual responsibility that you have to serve other people. That's the heart of what we're trying to do. We're not trying to force one thing on everyone, but we're actually believing that righteous people do the right thing and spirit-led people do the spiritual thing and, and godly people do the godly thing. And folks, my approach to this is when we don't, we'll deal with it. And so our regathering strategy actually reflects individual freedom, but it's based on the foundation of the fact that our freedom does not exist in isolation to the people we worship around. 
And those who are strong, Paul says, are often the ones that are required to bend the knee for those that are weak. That's not wrong. That's an expression of true freedom. And I pray that you'd understand that that is the, the spirit behind what we're trying to do. Now, the second application of this is where it gets really confusing, right? It's that if there is individual freedom, and that individual freedom is given to a group, then that means that there is freedom socially. There is social freedom. But this is the extent or the limitation on that that God's authority puts on it. This is what it, what it says with regard to my social freedom. My freedom socially is constrained by the fact that I am not free to do anything that injures you. I'm not free to do anything that injures you. This is the way Paul puts it at the end of verse 13. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now it's ironic that having urged the Galatians not to become slaves to the law and sin, Paul then urges them to become slaves to one another. How? Because there's an authority here. That authority is the authority of God himself. Now, this slavery to one another, this servanthood, uh, servant nature that we have to one another, is nothing like slavery to sin. See, slavery to sin is involuntary, whereas our choice to serve one another is absolutely voluntary. Jesus set us free from the power of sin so that we could freely choose to offer ourselves as living sacrifices for God in this world as we serve other people. You see, the Christian's freedom, if it is anything, is a freedom to serve. It is a freedom in bondedness. And verse 15 puts it like this. If you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, when I think about this verse, I'm reminded of a time when I was younger that I had a pet, a dog, first dog I ever had. His name was Buster, and it was uh, a mix between a black lab and uh, an English uh, cocker spaniel. And this, this particular breed has the, the kind of leaning towards uh, jealousy. And uh, whenever Buster would go out, he would always try and get off the leash. But when he would run out, uh, he would often be so excited. And I remember one time he broke out of the house as the doors opened. He ran. There were a couple of people just kind of messing around, play fighting outside. And he thought he'd get involved. And he actually bit one of the kids, one of my friends. It wasn't a bad bite. But my mother decided that that was one bite and one bite too many. And she had Buster put down. I cried for a week because I loved that dog. But what I discovered in that moment was a very simple lesson. Buster used his freedom to bite. The consequence of that was death. As I was thinking about that too, isn't it interesting that as a child, we often learn a lot about death through our pets. Buster for me, then there was Joey. It was a, a budgie, a yellow and green budgie that I came up one more, came down there one morning and found Joey dead at the bottom of the cage. Often, when you, if you think about it, animals are often caged our dog, or leashed. Our dogs are on a leash. Why? To protect them. Buster was on a leash. Why? To protect them. 
Now, I know animal rights people that can be taken too far. I'm not saying zoos are good or anything else. I'm just saying that when you look at this, we just recognize that caging something, holding something back is important because when something is unleashed completely, it can often cause damage. This is Paul's principle within a community. He's saying, listen, if individuals within a community act in such a way that they use their freedom and everybody insists on their own freedoms, then what happens is social anarchy. What happens is people are being hurt through our behavior. And so there's another limitation here. The other limitation uh, that is given to the church and to community is simply this. Listen, let's not use our freedom in Christ as an opportunity to push what we want to the extent that other people are injured through it. And church, again, with our re-entry, with our reopening strategy, that's essentially what we're talking about. We're talking about limiting our freedoms. Why? Not because we aren't free, but because we are. And the true extent of total freedom of movement and freedom of expression is driven by what is good and healthy and right for the body. And I pray that as we go through the rest of this series, next week I'm going to look at the application of that in a message called Just Say No. And how sometimes freedom to say no is the best way of saying yes to God. And I just pray as we go through this that you correctly understand what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to say, church, as we move into the strategy of regathering, where we're trying to do everything we can to make sure that whatever your preference is, there's an option for you. But church, this only works if we protect the unity of the flock. This only works if we recognize that we have been set free from sin first in order to be set free for the purpose of loving God and serving the world and especially the church. Won't you just join me in praying that as we move into a re-entry, that this transitional phase for us will be such a unifying phase that even if we do think slightly differently on the issues, we celebrate because we have Jesus Christ in common. Won't you join me in that prayer? What I'd like to do is I'd like to end by saying the Lord's Prayer together. And so on the screen right now, you're going to see the Lord's Prayer. And I, as I was thinking about this, I was just thinking, what better way at the end of a message like this to come together as one people, scattered as we are, and just unite around the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. So where you are right now, whether in a home, in a car, you may not be able, if you're in a car or you're traveling somewhere, you may not be able to, to see the words. Please don't look at this screen. Look at the road ahead of you. But let's say this prayer together, just as Jesus taught us. Let's say it as one people. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.